0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. All right, welcome to the second installment of the Spring 2017 UC Santa Barbara Distinguished Speaker Series. I'm John Greathouse. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Greathouse. This is one of my favorite um, evenings of the academic year, Every spring, I have students that have gone through our program come back as alumni and tell us about the exciting companies that they've started. And I have three um, with us tonight that I think you're really, really going to enjoy. Let's start with Eric Posen. He's the co-founder and chief product officer at Narrative. Narrative graduated from Disney's Accelerator in their inaugural class of the fall of 2014. And what it does is it powers content for major brands on Snapchat. Now, there was not a linear road to Narrative, and we're going to talk about what that non-linear road was. Most companies don't have um, an A to B sort of life, uh, and uh, Eric will tell us all about that. Before Narrative, Eric was featured in the 2013 LA Business Journal 20 in their 20s, uh, and that was right after he graduated from LA's Mucker Lab. So he's been through two different accelerators, and if you ever get a chance to join uh, an accelerator of the quality of Mucker or Disney, I would say absolutely do it. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience for an entrepreneur. He has more than 10 years of experience, which blows my mind because I, I still think of him as 22 years old. He has more than 10 years of experience building products. Uh, and he was recently honored in Forbes 30 Under 30. I had two students in the 2017 Forbes 30 Under 30. Um, Eric um, was one of them. That's quite, quite an honor to get that kind of national recognition. He's a proud alum of UC Santa Barbara, where he studied business economics. And what I love about, and this is in his own bio, he cites the fact that he completed the school's prestigious technology management program. Let's give him a warm welcome. Next up, next up we have Jeff Overall, founder and CEO of Polar Pro which I will mess up because I can't get those P's out, but I got it out that time. He founded Polar Pro in 2011, right here on campus while he was still a student at UCSB, and he'll tell us about that story. Uh, since then, Jeff has led massive expansion of the Polar Pro business from a single product into a, uh, an enterprise encompassing a diverse array of peripherals for action cameras, consumer drones, and smartphones. The Polar Pro team is made up primarily of action sports enthusiasts and cinematographers. It totals 14 people um, down in their Costa Mesa headquarters. And its products are distributed in 57 countries all around the world. That'd be impressive enough, um, but back in November of 2015, Jeff appeared on Shark Tank. A lot of people appear on Shark Tank, but not everyone ends up getting two of the judges to start a bidding war. Um, which Jeff was able to do, and he ended up getting a million dollar on-air deal. He's been profiled in industry-leading business publications such as Forbes and Business Insider. I think that Forbes article is particularly well written, if I would do say so myself. Um, and under his leadership at PolarPro, that he was also honored at the Orange, uh, by the Orange County um, Business Journal in 2016 as an Innovator of the Year. Let's welcome Jeff to our class. In case you didn't figure it out, I wrote that Forbes article. That's why I made that comment. It wasn't as funny as I thought it might be. Um, I'm going to actually give you the bio of a fourth student who is not here with us tonight, but I want her to get recognition. She's actually working. She's working on her venture, and she wasn't able to join us. Um, that's Mike's uh, co-founder, Rena Ba. In addition to be the co-founder of Uni Rui Entertainment, she's also the administrative producer. So while she was a student here at UC Santa Barbara, she was very proactive in her professional advancement, and she acquired multiple film and media internships. And I've told you guys over and over and over again, find an internship in the area that you think you want to work in. turns out that she thought she wanted to work in the area of film, and she did end up working in the area of film. Upon graduating with a degree in film and media studies back in March of 2016, oh so long ago, she took a role as an associate producer for a Chinese reality TV show. She got involved in that show, and she realized the potential for Chinese entertainment in leveraging the U.S. media market. And th- through her various professional roles um, it, as an intern and as a, um, as a producer in China, she ended up teaming up with Mike, and they co-founded Uni Rui Entertainment together. I feel like we should applaud for her. Uh, <laughs> let's applaud for her. I'm bummed that she's busy working and we're having fun, but we do have Mike Zhang with us here tonight. So in addition to uh, co-founding UniRui, he's also the chief sales and marketing officer. As a former student here at UCSB, Michael kept an active role in various organizations, including being the president of Santa Catalina, uh, the off-campus senator for the Associated Students, and probably most impressively, the dye chair of Sigma Alpha Epsilon. He graduated in 2016, as I mentioned, with a degree in statistics, an emphasis in economics, and a certificate for the technology management program. After graduating, and I remember talking to Michael at office hours, he ended up taking a job at Oracle. He took a job as a CX solution and business development representative at Oracle. He stayed there for a short period of time, realized that maybe that wasn't um, his life's calling. Um, and with Rena and Robert Horry, he ended up co-founding UniRui. Uh, and their mission is, a, is very interesting, and we'll get into it up here. Their mission is to bridge the cultural gap between different uh, nations through unique content, you know, starting with the U.S. and with China. Let's welcome Michael to our class. Thank you. Wow. What an impressive group. I think UCS Santa Barbara must have something interesting going on in that technology management program. What do you think? And they all took this class, by the way. So they've all been, they've all sat in your seats, literally. It was required. It was required. (laughs) They hated every minute of it, but they took this class.
1: No, I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Too late to brown those. Okay. I like it, too. I lived right across the street at Icon, and I remember sprinting down the stairs to make it to class on time.
2: You guys are lucky it was in the engineering building when I went here, really yeah. far. Harold
0: Frank, yeah. And we had one camera, and it's so low budget, and now it's grown to this. And we have a wonderful crew, uh, and we have wonderful alumni that came back, which we appreciate. Um, all of you are trying to get your business, and you're growing your business, you're working hard. You traveled up from Southern California, so we appreciate it. Um, I, I like to start. I want to really want to get to a lot of the students' questions, but I want to start with um, a question that's very germane to some of the folks here that do have some time left um, at UC Santa Barbara. We can just kind of go down the, the line, or however you guys want to answer it. Um, it. Were there things that you, now that you've been out um, for various amounts of time, some not so long ago, some a bit longer, were there things that you wish you would have done at school that you didn't do, um, or were there things that you did do that you found were really super helpful um, with regard to your venture? And so if there was a do-over, what would that do-over be? Or what was something you did that you were like, you know, that really helped me?
2: Honestly, when John talks about doing internships, I didn't do any internships, and I absolutely regret it. I think some of the interns we've had have had tremendously valuable experiences. And just seeing how much they've learned at working at our startup like, makes me wish that I had done that at another tech startup. Um, I was working on a lot of side projects, so I didn't feel like I had the time, but in retrospect, I absolutely could have made time, and I think it would have been really valuable.
3: You know, I spent a lot of time hanging out with my own little group of friends and didn't really network outside of it at all. And I would come to these classes, you know, sitting next to these guys who go on to be these huge software engineers, mechanical engineers, or scientists. And, I mean, right now, you never know where you're going to be in five years, ten years, and who you're going to need to really help you pursue your vision and help you get to your goals. And right now, I mean, we cannot get enough of mechanical engineers and software engineers, so it would have been awesome if I were to, you know, just step outside of my comfort zone. And I challenge you guys to do that, too. You know, talk to someone sitting next to you. Just say, hey, what's up? You know, how's it going? My name's Jeff. Um, The old guy up there on stage told me to talk to you and ask you what your ambitions were in life. Um, and you know, you never know who you're going to need in five years, so you know, step out, network as much
1: as you can. So for me personally, I wish that I could probably have taken more media classes. If you were able to talk to me back in freshman year, I would have never thought I would be getting in the media entertainment industry. Never had thought to take any media classes, get myself uh, more knowledgeable about the media industry. So probably do that, take a couple more classes, brush up my Chinese. But uh, what I did right, that I believe that John talks about all the time, is taking internships. So during my time at UCSB, I took several internships and turned out at Northwestern Mutual that, uh, that allowed me to find out that I really didn't want a career in financial industry and several others that just, you know, like, associated students that made me realize politics is something I'm never going to get into, stuff like that.
0: I mean, a lot of times finding out what you're not interested in and what you don't want to do is as important as finding out what you do want to do, mm-hmm. right? It's just sort of that process of elimination. And college gives you that opportunity. It's a lot harder. You guys can attest to this. It's a lot harder to do that once you're out and working. You just don't have that luxury of time that you have here. So I'm going to ask one more question. And then we're going to go to the first student. So if the if first student could be ready here. So you, know, you guys know that I'm about internships and about mentoring. So I want to ask you about mentoring. Um, did you have a mentor? Either in college or once you once you got out, I know you went through a couple accelerators. Tell, talk to me about what, and we'll start. Actually, we'll start with Mike, so you can have a chance to think for one. We'll go back and forth. So, um, and, and, but hold on. One other thing, and then what, to the extent that you've been approached by anyone that wants to join your venture, or an internship or whatever, what kind of what has worked for you? What's a, what's a turnoff, and what do you what has worked? Because there are lots of ways to approach a potential mentor. So, mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead, Mike.
1: So um, I'm not sure if you really remember, but during my <laughs> junior year, I came up to you uh, during office hours and asked you about a venture that me and a couple of my buddies were starting. It's called FoodSwoop.
0: I you... totally remember that.
1: <laughs> Did that sound All
0: real? Right. We can do that again. I totally remember that.
1: <laughs> well, that business... I remember anyway, you was... coming to office hours, but I, I can't remember that venture. Okay. So we had this great idea about doing a grocery delivery service uh, business out here in Isla Vista. Costco was super nearby, uh, Trader Joe's. And we eventually just ended up not being able to do it because we didn't put any time into it. We took too much time playing beer die and just having fun don't do that if you're trying to start a business, definitely make sure you have your priorities straight. Um, and another thing is we actually got a lawyer sending us a like a lawsuit for putting trader joe 's menu onto our website. <laughs> yeah, so after that we're just like, we're dropping this.' I'm not doing this anymore.. Uh, but in terms of mentorships, I would say my one, my one and only mentor that I've had since graduating is probably uh, another co-founder for Uniru. Her name is Dee. Oh, okay. She, uh, she has helped me. She was the one that brought me onto Uniru, and she has helped me throughout the process of getting integrated into the company, teaching me more about the media business, and the way I found her was just, she was just a close family friend. Um, mentors, I feel like, come in... any any ways, you could meet someone just chatting uh, over a cup of coffee at the coffee shop and they could turn out to be someone that's very knowledgeable about a certain industry or certain product that could eventually be your mentor. Or they could be someone like John. You meet him at uh, office hours and he could turn out to be someone that helps you a lot later down the line. Um,
0: Which I think is consistent with what Jeff said. Just open yourself up to it. Because you never know what casual conversation might lead to something interesting. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs)
3: Yeah, for me, uh, I don't really have like one big mentor that I can say, oh yeah, he helped me through everything. It's just kind of a culmination of a few advisors, I would call them, and pretty much everyone in my social network were advisors, whether they knew it or not. I mean, all my friends, I would always be like, what do you think about this product name or, you know, what do you think about this website design? So I mean, a lot of my friends became advisors, um, but I will say my dad and my I do have three uncles who were have provided a lot of knowledge and just helped kind of let me find my way and guide me through situations that I've never been through before. Um, one other big kind of advisor or mentor that I have is actually our sales rep for Best Buy. His name's Dale Berg, and he basically took us in when we were really small still and had no idea what we were doing retail on the retail sales side And basically just shaped us, told me exactly what I had to do to get my business ready for selling to a big company like Best Buy. From pricing to inventory management to, you know, structuring customer service and all the returns. So he's helped out quite a bit with taking us from a little guppy into a decent-sized company that we are today in big retail.
0: So I'm curious because I've done retail and it's hard. It's really hard. I, I never did it successfully. Why do you think he took you under his wing? What was it that, that charmed him into wanting to help you?
3: I don't know. He'll he'll say that because he's a good investor and he spotted my talent. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe he did. He thought, you know, that's a maybe he doesn't have the product right now, which we didn't when I went to him. We had we were trying to uh, get this crazy expensive extension pole that had a battery built into it into Best Buy. Would have been a horrible move move if they brought it in, but. He was like, all right, Jeff, let's kind of shape you. He saw the potential. He saw the ambition Mm. and the team that I was working with and what we were doing. And he also saw kind of my willingness to try new things, try different things. And I think that's why he kind of took us in and stuck with us for three years before he got his first commission check.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, so I, I tried to go to every single EAT that I possibly could and until they literally told me over email just like, they needed the room, like, stop going, they need the room for other students. <laughs> um, and I would email every single person that spoke at the EAT after and try and grab coffee or something. And uh, they're always, like, really friendly, but usually we could never get a time together. Um, they're very, very busy. I, I had nothing bad to say about them. I think Jeff Carmody from Agility Capital was the most helpful, really great at sitting down and at least listening. But hard for them to give applicable feedback for what I was working at, at least. It wasn't really until I got into an accelerator like MuckerLab, and the founders of MuckerLab are very good mentors, but honestly, the biggest value add out of it was the other founders in the program, which is not what I expected. Just We were the youngest um, entrepreneurs in MuckerLab, and there are nine other companies. all Most of them were on their second or third venture, and all of them had faced pretty much every single problem that we had gone through two or three times over, and it was so much easier to just turn around your chair and be like, hey, how did you deal with this? And they usually had a very quick answer and can help you navigate it really quickly. So that was honestly the biggest value add of being in a program like Mucker Lab. And other founders in general just become, it becomes, well, at least in LA, it's a very, very small um, tech community. And meeting other founders, like you get to know each other very quickly, and it's a very small community. And... People are very, very willing to help, so other founders have honestly been more helpful uh, than any than any other
0: mentor for us. And what's funny is as you as you were saying that I, one thing that you have in common you have many things in common, one thing is all of you kept in touch with me to some level, not you weren't emailing me every week, but and then there was an event a catalyst like for you shark Tank for you of us thirty of thirty, but we had you know there was a history, it wasn't like, who is this random person, <laughs> I wish them well, who are they? Uh, and Mike came back into my office hours after he graduated, so mm-hmm. there, I think that's something else that maybe to, t- to take away. It's not why they're on stage, they're on stage because they've accomplished some amazing things, but it is interesting that they all have that uh, in, their, in their backgrounds after they left school. Let's take the first student's question.
3: So this question is for uh, Jeff.
2: And so after experience in Shark Tank, like, do you believe that partnering with huge investors like Mark Cuban, and I um, would like to partner with using investors was like, a key part to Polar, pro, polar Pro's growth. And do you feel like you could have taken the company to where it is now uh, without using investors like Mark and uh, Robert?
3: Yeah, so that's a good question. And I feel like I'm about to break the news to a bunch of young children out there that Santa Claus is uh, not real. So <laughs> we got that TV deal, right? And everybody, everyone who watched it saw the episode. And we got a million dollars, Right. Yeah, I never got that check for a million dollars. It basically went into due diligence process after the uh, show aired. Well, actually in between after filming and then dragged on past after it aired. And, you know, it just kind of took so long that it was finally like, all right, guys, we don't really need the money anymore. Thanks for the, you know, we got on the show. We got our publicity. We got to share our uh, story with the world and why we do what we do. But, you know valuation's gone up, time to move on.
0: But let's talk about the impact of the show, because I think in, in the article we did for Forbes Together, I think that was really the takeaway, was if you have a consumer-type product, it is a great opportunity, because your website lit up, and maybe just talk a little bit about it Yeah, that. so
3: I mean, I literally got to share my story and our story at Polar Pro, kind of like why we do what we do, why we make what we make, and share it with 8 million people who are watching, and it was sales went through the roof we actually finally got our a meeting back with Best Buy and it was a catalyst to getting in there and getting the first PO so I mean the show was really fun to film it was really cool I would absolutely do it again and you know hopefully it also kind of inspired some young little surfer groms out there to maybe one day they'll start their own company too. So, in case, in case you haven't
0: seen it, um, that references to the fact that they really played up. I know you can't tell that he might be from Southern California. That's probably not obvious to you, um, but they really had him play that up on the show. I would highly encourage you. I think it's still available online. I, I, yeah, I shared it to my son. He's, like, he's cracking up. Um, it's TV, right? It's entertainment. They they want to. They have to have a shtick for everyone that comes out, and uh, Jeff had a shtick. Yeah, that's fun. Let's um, actually. Let me. Before I go to your question, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you about Laughter. So that was something you kept in touch with me about. And the way I always described, because I did talk to people about Laughter, the way I described it was sort of Pandora for comedy. That's how I described it. Too. Okay. Well, that's where I came up with that, <laughs> Kitty. I'm sure I got it from you. So it was sort of this concept that you know everyone understands what Pandora has done for music. If you wanted to be sitting online and listening to some comedy, this would be a way for you to digest that content. Tell us how you went from that, and you, and that was right concurrent with graduating, where you were. You, were, you did that right out of school, and then how did that get you to narrative? Yeah,
2: so I think this, this is funny, I have a lot to say on this, but I'll try and keep it brief, but I think I emailed John about this idea pretty early on, and in, in a very, very nice way, he was like, I think that's probably not a great idea. I never, <laughs> but I
0: never say don't no, do no, no, it. No,
2: cor- no, no, of course not. He, I mean, I think it was more like, I think it's a pretty small market, you should think bigger, et cetera, et cetera. And he was totally right in retrospect. I said
0: retrospect. you should go on Shark Tank. You were totally right in <laughs>
2: retrospect. Um, but as a young college student or graduate, you, like, nobody can convince you that your idea is bad. Nobody. Like, you're always going to believe your idea is the best idea in the world, and it's almost never true. And don't ever be afraid to share your idea and talk to people about it. Like, the first instinct for entrepreneurs, especially at a college, is, like, get an NDA for every meeting, and it's crazy. It's literally crazy. Nobody's going to drop everything they do to steal your idea, and, like, you know, it just just never happens. Um, But... We, we went through Mucker, and Mucker really helped to steer us in a good direction, and give us a foundation in leadership. and um, we, I mean, we had no idea what we were doing before. and when we got through Mucker, there was a structure, there was mentorship, um, and we had other our entrepreneurs to, to learn from. And we launched a beta, and by this time Pandora had launched comedy, so I mean essentially our product was like, really not relevant. Uh, we tried hard anyways to get users because we had built it. Uh, but it was hard, and I, th- honestly, the biggest thing I wish like I could have learned uh, was that consumer apps, consumer products are really, really hard, guys. I cannot express that enough. Really hard. I mean, for any consumer app to be viable, it's got to be million to hundred million users, and we got to ten thousand, I think, at our peak, and none of those users came back the week after. You learn very quickly if it's not solving a real problem that it's just not going to grow. And uh, for a free consumer app, like. 10,000 users is literally nothing.
0: So why didn't you just give up? Like, okay, so Labster didn't work. We right. were very public about, this is my venture, and then it didn't happen. So
2: we had a lot of traction after Lab. We raised a, a small uh, angel round slash seed round of like, about $700,000, and we had some good investors in that, and we had just started building a team. And uh, we made the, a very hard decision to to not give up but to pivot entirely and we started going back to the drawing board because we had a great team we had money in the bank and we didn't want to give up and th- this is the first time we had like, any real money to play with, we had a real team now we had great engineers, we had a designer and we, re- we realized we weren't solving a problem so we wanted to solve a problem so we talked to the comedians that were putting content on our platform and they said hey look the discovery thing's really cool but I, you know, I already have 10,000 fans or 100,000 fans and I don't, I don't really need new fans I, I don't even make money from the fans I already have so we pivoted to solve that problem and help these comedians raise money. And it was doing really well, and we got a lot of emails, emails from musicians and YouTubers that wanted to use the platform as well, but it was called Lapster and it didn't make sense to call it Laughter anymore. So we changed it to Kogo and opened it up to all sorts of creators, from YouTubers to musicians to comedians. And they essentially would put their content on our platform, and fans would come, watch the content, and donate for rewards, kind of like Kickstarter meets YouTube. And uh, it was taken off a lot better, and we had real revenue coming in, we were solving a problem, and we had a great user acquisition funnel, which was, you know, these creators were putting content and then telling their fans about it. So, all was great. We got into Disney Accelerator, and then YouTube added the thing called fan funding, which is essentially a donate button on YouTube. And, uh, you know, it's very, I I think you want to talk a little bit about this, but it's very dangerous to build a product that is basically reliant on a big, big platform, because it's so easy for them to, either put your feature... If you're building a feature instead of a product, it's very easy for them to kill you, essentially. And luckily, that happened like week one, Disney Accelerator, and we decided to kill our product entirely, which was the hardest and best decision we ever had to do, and that's how we started Narrative.
0: Do you want to tell us a little bit more? I mean, I I think later I was going to ask you about Narrative, but since we're on the path, the journey that you're on, and you've had tremendous success with Narrative, I didn't say it in your intro, but I was just reading just a random tech article, and you guys were in, like, top... I don't know, 50 or top 20 tech companies in the U.S. That
2: was weird, right? We were like sandwiched between like Twitter and Hulu, and I don't. We were like a 12-person company, and every other company was like 500 plus people. I was very, (laughs) was very surprised when we got that, but very, you know, very honored. But uh, Narrative is essentially a marketing platform for Snapchat. We work with brands like Coca-Cola, Disney, uh, Fox, and help power content for them on Snapchat. So you know, we. Put Snapchat on on. Oh, sorry, we put Coke on Snapchat. You could add Coca Cola on Snapchat. We put Disney Studios on Snapchat. We put Pretty Little Liars on Snapchat, and essentially gave them a turnkey solution to create content on Snapchat. And our product that my team built was essentially the first analytics platform for Snapchat, so brands could keep track of all the metrics that was important to them and actually quantify the money that they're spending and the value they're getting out of that. Um, yeah, does that?
0: Are you able to talk about where you are with, um,
2: yes. Uh, so I'm we- I'm trying to
0: be careful because I'm not sure
2: what's been public. No, it's okay. It's public. Uh, we recently sold that product to Hootsuite. Uh, I'm sure you guys, most of you guys are familiar with them, but they're a marketing, they're the biggest marketing platform for Twitter and Facebook. And, um, that was about a month ago. And we're currently working on a new project called We Buy Gold, which is essentially a- music lifestyle brand for Instagram, and who we partnered with DJ Khaled to basically create original content on Instagram.
0: Awesome. So not only linear your journey, but a great one, and the common theme there was didn't give up, didn't give up, didn't give up. Let's take the next student's question. Uh, my question is for you, Mike. Did you describe your transition from working at Oracle to uh, starting your own business? Do you think it's important for college graduates to work a little bit, or do you think you could have started your own business straight out of college?
1: Yeah, so My journey from Oracle to uh, UniRoot basically started right after graduation. Uh, I accepted my offer to Oracle before I even graduated, actually. So after graduating, I went to work for Oracle. I worked there for a short period of time, for around like two to three months. And as soon as I started working there, I realized a nine-to-five job wasn't really something that I wanted to do myself. Uh, It was something that was comfortable, something that paid the bills, you know, kept me going but I knew that I, was, I wanted to do something for myself, because I, I was making a lot of money for Oracle while getting little in return, in terms of compensation, how much uh, I was making them per sale, and that wasn't really like, that didn't sit well with me. So uh, fortunately, I got a call from D, one of our co-founders uh, who I met through working on a reality TV show during my time in between graduating and working for Oracle. There's about a one month period I flew out to Houston um, to work with her on another company that she co-founded, which is called OBDA, which is basically starting AAU out in China currently. They're very successful. Um, they're, they just recently acquired a partnership with a very large company. That's going to be publicly announced in several weeks. But uh, I met her on the reality TV show, and I was able to showcase my skills working with um, external business partnerships, uh, mainly regarding like product placements and sponsorships, stuff like that. And so fast forward a couple months while I was working at Oracle, she called both Renan and I and told us this whole idea about Uniru, about starting an entertainment company that would bridge the gap between cultures in America using resources through our other co-founder, Robert Horry, and her resources in China. Uh, mainly, they would bring like stars from both both countries together to do philanthropic uh, missions that that would also bring cultural aspects of martial arts, uh, food and dance to showcase Americans of like what, what like the cultural like deep cultural aspects of China actually is, and in the same time give the audiences in China a glimpse of American life of the of celebrities of not just being stars having the glamorous life, but what they do from a day to day basis. Um, with that, after transitioning, uh, going back to your question i would I would recommend working a little bit it 's good to go out there and get a little bit of experience, but if you have your idea, if you have a business that you know you want to start and that 's it, I definitely would pursue it rather than take a, spend your time working for a different company and making them money instead of yourself
0: yeah you 're going to learn so much even if either even if that first venture doesn 't work out right you mm-hmm. learn so much. I just want to touch on something you said though think about. What Michael and his team are doing, I mean, in today's time, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to get political, but just geopolitical terms, like what we're dealing with right now with North Korea, with China, with the U.S., with the tension in the world. I mean, I think just, just, the, just a reality TV show that shows basic aspects of a different culture can go a long way mm-hmm. right, to not making it us versus them. Yeah, Like, it's that whole thing about we're really not that different. Well, it's easy to say that, but when you're actually seeing it and you're laughing along with, you know, maybe a family in China or vice versa, family in China is seeing, you know, um, a family mm-hmm. here in America. Yeah, I think it makes a big difference.
1: Yeah, so Renna uh, Rena actually told me to say this. Uh, she's sorry that she couldn't appear today. She had to go work, but the question that, or like the phrase that you just described, she wanted to say that she... She wanted to show people in China that America wasn't just all about Big Macs and chicken nuggets. <laughs> and she wanted to show people in America that China wasn't just orange chicken fortune cookies. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. <laughs> fortune cookies aren't even Chinese, right? Okay.
1: It isn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing Panda Express Duh. came up with. Americanized Chinese. Right.
0: Excellent. But Jeff, I have a question for you. Um, I tell your story about Polar Pro sometimes in class because I, I just I just like the fact that you were in school, it was a very pragmatic problem that you were having personally, and then you solved it, and then you decided to, hey, maybe this is a business. So I'd love to hear you know, an abbreviated version of your story. It's a good story, but um, let's keep it a little bit, little bit brisk. But I'd also like you to, to add to the story, when did you say to yourself, this is a business? Because you did something pretty bold. Like You took this thing that wasn't quite really there yet, and you said, I'm not gonna get a job, I'm just gonna make this happen.
3: All right, so yeah, it all started right over there, 6654 DP. You know, I was doing a bunch of skiing and, not snowboarding, skiing with the GoPro back when it first came out, and that camera used to be awful on the snow, like, not even usable footage. It would just be super overexposed, so, you know, I'd go up, I'd land a sick trick, and we'd come home and watch it, and it'd be like, oh, can't see anything, like, what'd you do? And then... And so I was like, all right, there's got to be a way to fix this. How are, how are these like, big production guys doing it on the big $100,000 RED cameras? So I looked, saw that they were using some polarizer filters. So I was like, all right, looks good. Didn't see any polarizers for the GoPro. So bought one for a big DSLR camera, duct taped it onto the GoPro, went up there. Worked out pretty good, was really excited about it. you know.
0: Emphasis on the duct tape.
3: Oh, yeah. It was nasty. It was not a pretty prototype. Actually, it wasn't even a proto. I'm not going to use the prototype word, because at that point, it wasn't. It was just something I made for myself. And so... To you know, solve sh- a real problem, guys. Yeah, that's right. you right. really got to show your friends what tricks you're stomping up there. <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't count. Um, so... <laughs> So, you know, I just sat on this thing for a couple weeks and didn't really think of anything of it. And I was in managerial accounting class one day and I was just like, oh God, I hate accounting. Like, and my mind just was wandering that class. And I was like, I'm glad it wasn't my class. No, yeah, it, was, it wasn't, definitely wasn't your class. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, in the middle, I was like, I bet people would pay for this. And then, so I literally stood up in the middle of class, left, rode my bike home, spent the next 72 hours, learning how to build a website, building a website, learning how to make this duct tape polarizer look a little more elegant than its current form. Tip, no duct tape. No duct tape. Yeah, I got to make that a little more streamlined. So just started doing it. 72 hours later, had a really ghetto website and a (laughs) really very rough, minimum viable product. Um, So launched it, went with it. And um, what's the second part of that question?
0: So when did you know it was a real business? Like, oh, okay. So that's I, a
3: side business. So I'll, do, I'll answer this from two perspectives. From me, I knew it was a real business the second I stood up in accounting class, class and left. If you asked my dad when I had a real business, it would probably be like a year and a half later, right after I just pitched him on investing in the company. So I, it just depends on your definition of real business. But in your heart, you always felt like, this is it, I'm not going to get a job, this is my job. Oh, yeah, I had another business before called Newport Kayak Fishing, where I took people kayak fishing in Newport, and the plan was, you know, I'm definitely not going to be an accountant. (laughs) Um, That's for sure. My My dad's an accountant, but I would never do that. And so, I mean, the plan was to just go back to Newport, build this thing, this kayak fishing company. It's not a bad life, floating around in the harbor, catching some fish. And you know, just see what, what came about it and if anything did. But luckily in October, Polar Pro came about. You know, I was working eight hours a day on that, then going to school. It was actually a pretty inspiring time for me. You know, building the company at night, then coming into John's class and be like, all right, John, like, what do you got for me today? And he had no idea I was working on this either, but it was just me personally. And, you know, he'd be like, oh, talk about exclusivity and never give out exclusivity contracts. And then I'd run home and cancel all the exclusivity contracts (laughs) that I gave out the day before. And it was just super exciting. So when graduation came time, it was like, oh, right. Now I get to work on it 16 hours a day instead of eight hours a day and have to deal with schoolwork. So it was zero thought.
0: Well, I appreciate that you weren't in my office hours every five minutes. (laughs) Although I do love those students, too. Um, Let's take uh, the next student's question. Yep.
3: Um. It's stated that you completed UCSB's technology management program. Who's
0: who's the question Oh, for for?
3: Eric, sorry. Okay. (laughs) And I was wondering what skills and knowledge did you gain from the program, and also do you think you would still be where you are today if you had not completed the program?
2: That's a great question. Uh, Honestly, like, the biggest and most consistent thing you see across all entrepreneurs is that they just don't give up, and I think that class really set me up to, like, fail a lot. <laughs> and it's basically like, you learn, you're going to fail over and over again, and you're going to have to problem solve, and you're going to have to fix it, and if you don't give up, you can eventually be successful, right? Uh, you will fail a lot. You'll make a lot of mistakes. You'll regret a lot of them. And uh, But, like, you can't go back and change those things. You just have to grow. And, you know, I think the classes themselves were the most, like, applicable classes to anything I do that I took here, um, I can't, I can't, you know, the the econ program here is great, but it wasn't exactly for me. I didn't get enough out of it uh, that was applicable to what I do now. But I went to every single TMP class, no matter how sick I was, I dragged myself to those classes. And uh, Engineering 185B, where we had to do a big group project, like really taught me to just like get out of my comfort zone and work on things that like I would never probably do otherwise. And as an entrepreneur, you have to wear so many hats and just learn a lot of things and never be above doing anything. And I think it just set me up to have that mentality. So that was probably the biggest value that I got out of it.
0: Mike, I have a question for you. Um, tell us a little bit more about the first project that you guys, I mean, to the extent that you can disclose it, I know you mm-hmm. can't tell us everything, but I think the the audience and the people watching online would be interested to know what the structure of that first series
1: is going to be with Robert, his role, his friend's role, etc. Anything that you feel comfortable sharing. So, uh, for what I can disclose, for the plotline of the story of our first project, it's called Reaching for the Stars. Uh, the host on the show would be Retta, who unfortunately can't be here, and Robert Horry. Uh Horry will be on the show, he'll be utilizing... Maybe explain,
0: I think most people know who he is, but maybe explain a little bit his background. Okay.
1: So... Um, Hori a seven-time NBA uh, championship winner. He played for the Lakers. His nickname is Big Shot Rob. Uh, he was the guy that made that three-point clutch shot in one of the finals back in 2003, I think. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but So in the show, he's going to utilize his connections. He's going to bring on a bunch of stars that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and Brenna's going to bring on a bunch of stars, notable Chinese celebrities and actors from China. They're going to form uh, CP pairs. And the reason that they're forming the pairs to do philanthropic uh, services that I didn't get to was because Robert Horry had a daughter uh, and she died at a very young age due to a genetic disorder. And what we want to do, what we want to get to at the end point of the show is to host a yearly banquet where we would auction off items from all the stars and celebrities that come onto the show with all the proceeds going towards this charitable donation for genetic disorder for families that are in need, that are going through the pain and suffering that he has gone through, and for research to develop cures for genetic disorder diseases.
0: And just to be clear, so it's a great cause, right? There's a meaning and a purpose behind it, and I think a high entertainment factor and the international factor that we discussed Mm -hmm. earlier. And just to be clear, it's, um, it's not just the creation of a reality TV show, it's actually a platform upon which other shows will be built that, yeah. That'll have a similar international component to it.
1: Yeah, so we plan on uh, extending our show f- from just this one show to a platform through extension, uh, IP extension, where eventually we hope to take this show not just from China to America, but different other countries too, representing celebrities from their country, showing their culture uh, to the U.S. and vice versa.
0: What does the company name mean? Does it have a is it a meaning in Chinese?
1: Uh, it's Uniro Unire. Uh, and it's part of Renna's name and her sister's name ah, yeah, okay. together. Got it. Mm-hmm. Very cool. We'll take the next student's question. Um, my question is for Mike, and I think you already brushed upon this, but what inspired the establishment of your mission to bridge the cultural gap between different nations, and what helped you to realize the necessity of a link between cultures? So, like John spoke of earlier, just like all the things that are going on nationally right now, it's good to just get a glimpse of like the people day to day rather than the than the major issues of like you know who's trying to do this to who uh, it's good to see like the everyday person and kind of like see who you're sitting next to and like you know what their lives were like going through their like ho- in their home and like their culture and what kind of like insp- that really inspired us to just make that show
0: Great. you I'll take the next question in a second. You guys all have something in common that's kind of interesting you've all had to deal with a platform that you're relying on to some extent. you you you've dealt with it by expanding your product set. You, twice, you had I twice. twice. Whatever, and And Mike, you guys will too as well because you'll have whoever distributes that, that content. Mm-hmm. If it becomes um, you know, on cable, there's going to have to be a, a relationship with the cable provider. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, we talked a little bit about what you did. You want to explain a little bit with Polar Pro? kind of originally it was a GoPro-centric product and then what happened to cause you to expand that? <laughs>
3: So yeah, we originally had one filter for the GoPro camera and this is about a year after starting the company. Austin, who was about a month on the job as my VP and kind of right-hand man, we were at a trade show and we didn't. this is our first trade show, didn't really know what to expect at all. And a couple GoPro product managers came by and we were just looking at each other like, oh, my God, we're going to get yelled at for using the GoPro picture or something. Like, and they were like, oh, we really like what you guys are doing here. And we're like, oh, yeah, really? Like, okay, cool. And they're like, started dropping stuff like, oh, we could definitely see something like, oh, GoPro filters by Polar Pro." And Austin and I just looked at each other and were like, this is it. We're going to sell the company to GoPro. <laughs> and so we gave them like some samples and... You know, I didn't really hear anything for a couple months. Fast forward two months to the next trade show, Surf Expo. We're walking by the GoPro booth, see something out of the corner of my eye in a display case. I was like, that looks like a filter. Walk closer. And I was like, oh, cool. They're displaying our filters. Walk even closer. Like, oh, why does that have a GoPro logo on it? And it was just an exact replica of our filter that we showed them two months before. And at this point, my, like our stomachs just dropped. We didn't know what to do. So we, like, walked back to our booth with our kind of tails between our legs, and we're just like, this is it. Like, we're done. Like, this is our product. GoPro's going to crush us. We're, like, very, very new at this. And, you know, the sentiment kind of changed from, oh, we're going give, to give up to, like, how are we going to take these guys down? Like, how are we going to survive? And what we came up with is, like, we can't just be a one-trick pony. Like, we've got to diversify the portfolio. So... If this column breaks, and that we've only got the one column, the whole castle's not going to come crashing down. So ever since that day, we've just been building pillars, different categories. So just in case one of them gets knocked down, uh, we went from GoPro to the drones, then to mobile phones, and now we got some software stuff we're working on, just trying to diversify as much as we can, because you never know when one of those big guys like YouTube's going to put that donate button on there and knock you out. So... We had been heavily diverse. You guys time. were
0: early in drones, right? I mean,
3: Yeah, we were definitely, because after that point, I mean, our heads were on a swivel, like, what else can we get into? Pretty much anything that had to do with content capture. We were super passionate about ourselves, so we, the drones came out. We are like, oh, these look cool. So we just started making, definitely the first people making filters for the drone cameras, and then the drone companies got smart and started making their own cameras, so we started making stuff for that and just expanded the whole product line.
0: Yep. always trying to stay one step ahead.
3: Yeah. You got to you got to.
0: And what and you know I know this is going to be a public forum but what can you say about working with Snapchat? What was that? Cuz that's a yeah. little frightening, right?
2: So we never had like an official partnership with Snapchat just to to you know disclose that, but it's obviously a very scary thing to be building on a third-party platform. It was definitely always, you know, in the back of our heads that either you know they'd figure out some way to shut us down or they'd send some sort of cease and desist. Um, luckily, you know, we never ran into that issue, but we did have to, you know, find very creative ways to basically operate on their platform. Um, it was definitely a gray area, and we had to be very, very creative about how we got the data for our platform. We had, we discovered a really amazing way to do it that we felt was very safe and friendly to the platform. And, you know, a lot of there eventually were some pop up like SaaS based analytics tools for Snapchat that um, came came around uh, a few months after us, and you know we talked to a lot of companies that they came to us after using those products and say hey i got my account locked by snapchat for using this product like none of our clients ever got that warning uh, i think the method we used was the safest and we're really proud of that and but of course like it was always in the back of our minds they're like oh they're going to find some way to turn this off or like you know but luckily we built very good personal relationships with people there we never seemed to you know they never seemed to indicate that they had an issue with what we were doing. We felt like we were bringing a lot of value to the platform by bringing brands like Coke and Disney onto the platform. I think that helped a lot. A lot of those went on to spend real ad dollars on Snapchat itself, uh, as opposed to just with us um, on like influencer campaigns and building out their brand channel. So it was a really, you know, what Snapchat was offering was a very different offer than what our product was offering, at least for a while. And when we first came out, Snapchat didn't even have advertising. So we were really the only way to reach the audience on Snapchat. And we had a lot of business then and certainly like, as Snapchat's ad products got really, really good, it became a lot harder. They built a really great sales team and um, you know, at, at, at one point we made the decision to start essentially building our own channel because we built a lot of IP for Disney and for Fox and we didn't own any of it and they were monetizing it and they were making a lot of money off of it and you know, we were like, well, we're good at building brands. Why don't we build our own brand? We'll own that IP and we'll grow that. And that eventually became um, a, a side project with a narrative called We Buy Gold. And uh, at one point, it just made more sense to focus on that and sell the product business to a company like Hootsuite who has amazing relationships with Snapchat, um, can you know, has a much, much bigger team than us, a much bigger technical team, and a lot more clout to probably get the partnerships that they need with Snapchat to be a, you know, ultimately scalable business. So I will say you know, building on another platform is very, very risky, but can also be an amazing launching point. But you have to figure out very quickly how you're going to protect yourself and scale because it's hard. It's very hard.
0: Yep. Well, I think you said something that I, I invested in a company years ago when Facebook was first starting to do ads, which seems like a million years ago, right? Um, and, and they were successful. And it was scary at that time because there was only three companies that Facebook was opening the API up to. And I think one of the reasons they were successful is a number of them. They were very good, but they were very, very talented entrepreneurs. But one of them was they sat down with Facebook and they said, what can we do to help you? Like, obviously we have our self-interest in mind. We want to build a great company. But in doing that, what can we do that will that'll advance your platform? And it sounds like you guys had that same kind of mindset. As soon as they feel like, you know, you're doing something nefarious or you're doing something solely on your own self-interest, and that's when it gets shut down.
2: I think it was, I mean, really for us, like, it, it, it ultimately and still is like a gray area. And I think, you know, they were just, it's just not worth their time to deal with when at least, and this is all my speculation, but at least we were bringing some value to the platform. We did help bring brands on, and they value brands on the platform. Right. They just want them to spend money on Snapchat.
0: Yeah. No, I think it was good timing. And, and now you're pivoting to yet, what is this now? Maybe your fourth project, right? We'll take the next student's question.
2: How did you position your product Polar Pro, to stand out against huge competitors like GoPro?
3: And how do you plan to build brand loyalty when so many people are loyal to GoPro?
0: So you walked up to that case. I'm not <laughs> going to say they ripped you off. But there was a filter that looked a lot like yours. So then what did you do from there on? And I'm just repeating because I'm not sure everybody heard. Just what did you do from there on to differentiate?
3: Yeah, so we learned fast that we were going to have to move Quickly. And we're going to have to move faster than these bigger companies can. And we did just that. So they had that filter in that case. They didn't launch that thing for a year. So we had a full year before we were able to just, you know, have our foothold in the filter game, get some brand recognition, get some sales. And then when GoPro came along and did it, everyone already had our filter. So we're all about speed now. We're at like a four to six week product development cycle. So we like to move very fast. And, you know, we also fill in the voids of it's not always like we're competing with GoPro. Like that filter came before GoPro had a filter. Like that was solving a problem that existed that no one else had a solution for. And it's just all about once we find one solution, we do it and then we move on to the next one. So it's just innovation, innovation, innovation and keep on cranking out new products. So,
0: yeah. Sometimes it's just running faster. Like people would yeah. say to
3: me, I had a product
0: that competed with Microsoft, and they're like, Microsoft's going to crush you. I'm like, no, I'm just running faster than they are. They're, they're going to they're get to where I am at some point, but they're not going to get there soon,
3: right? Yeah, exactly. That's what we do. Stay
0: out front. Yep. Uh, we'll take another question for a student.
1: Okay, so my question is for Eric, and it's how do major brands like Freeform and Coke use narrative as a marketing um, for marketing purposes, and then, in addition, why do you think the format of Snapchat is a good format for marketing?
2: That's a great question. Uh, F- Freeform, who was ABC Family at the time we started working with them, uh, had a very successful show called Pretty Little Liars, and they were killing it on Instagram, killing it on Twitter, But they hadn't, and they knew their audience was on Snapchat. They knew that was where like, the majority of their audience was, but they had no way to, first of all, at the time, there, like the number of brands on Snapchat, you could count on two hands. It's very small. They had no you know, they didn't have the resources, the team to, you know, really focus on it. And focusing on creating Snapchat stories takes a lot more than an intern. You know, it's very easy to cross tweet, cross Instagram posts. Uh, but they knew Instagram was gonna I'm oh, sorry, Snapchat was gonna be a completely different ballgame and they had no way to track their data. It's very important to them and their leadership, like that they could quantify all marketing spend, right? So our product solved all those issues, which was one, we would create the content for them via you know, finding an amazing talent that was a creator on Snapchat, uh, who was amazing at creating content, and then we would track all the data with our product and report it back to them and tell them what's working and not working, and also guide them and guide the strategy. So we came up with, for Freeform specifically, we came up with um, a really amazing format for their show, which is essentially uh, our host, who's called mPlaco, who was, at the time when we found him, uh, a niche Snapchatter, about 3,000 views per snap. Uh, and at the time, there was Snapchat. There was like five hundred thousand views per snap, so it was s- small. And we worked, with, but he was an amazing storyteller. He could draw on Snapchat like Van Gogh style portraits, like amazing talent. And uh, we found out about him through a BuzzFeed article. And we offered him a deal to essentially become like the voice of the account. And he would come up with reactions to the episodes in real time with amazing drawings, and like basically became the host of the account. And would react and like we would live snap for them during the episode in real time. As soon as a moment happened, his reaction would, would post, and fans were going crazy for it. We did, used hashtags like PLL Reaction to get people to screenshot their favorite snaps and tweet it and post it on Instagram, which helped the virality of it. And the format just blew up, and a lot of TV shows started copying the format. Um, for Marriott, um, they used it as a way to reach a very very new audience. they obviously Marriott's demographic is is a little bit older than the Snapchat demographic, but they start marketing to people like five, ten years out because, you know, they, that's, that's just a very important thing for them to do in reaching a young audience so that, you know, after they graduate college and they're going to travel around, they won't think of Marriott as a brand where, you know, their parents are just going to go spend the night in Thailand or whatever. Uh, so we came up with a strategy, a three-month-long campaign strategy to essentially grow their account. We worked with four different influencers who would go to uh, four different uh, countries that their fans would choose, pick where they got to go by screenshotting their favorite snap, so it'd be like, you know, where should I go? Should I go to Rio? Should I go to, um, should I go to Montreal, etc. And their fans got to choose where to go. We fly them, and then they would snap on their account for two days on an amazing itinerary. And they said, on the third day, this is my final day in Rio. I'm going to be taking over the Marriott account. If you want to see the last day of my adventure, you got to follow Marriott Hotels. Mm-hmm. And that pushed a lot of people over to Marriott Hotels. And now Marriott Hotels was relevant again to a demographic that would have never cared about Marriott. And they saw their favorite influencers go there and now it wasn't this hotel that only their parents stayed at.
0: Wow, I'm surprised Marriott was bold enough to do that. It was a
2: very, very large campaign. Um, It it really helped us early on.
0: Because obviously their image and their brand is hugely valuable to them, and some of those Snapchat people, you know.
2: (laughs) They were very selective, of course, and all the brands we worked with were very, very selective about who they wanted to work with, and that's always a process, for sure.
0: Right. Um, I think we have time for one more.
3: Um, we've already talked about this a lot, but my question is for Jeff, and I was wondering how did you think your business would be affected when GoPro released their own line of similar accessories, and after that you saw that they were doing this, did you ever regret not partnering up with them?
0: So let's just do the last part, because we talked about the first part a little bit.
3: Yeah, so we we never really had the opportunity to partner with them, so honestly, we probably would have, so... Back when I was saying that we looked at each other and we're like, GoPro's going to buy us. I mean, we <laughs> at that point, we probably would have sold for like $100,000 or $200,000. Like, we weren't worth crap then. And, I mean, it, to look back and think like, oh, man, we would have sold for that amount. Like, it's probably good that that conversation never happened. Um, I mean, at the time, it was the the worst thing that could happen to us. But it turned out to be probably the biggest, like, awesome thing that ever happened to us is just expanding it, and like I said, product, innovate, 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 make new stuff. But yeah, there was, there was never any partnership offer, or we probably would have been all over it if there was.
0: Let's, let's go uh, with one more, yeah. All right.
3: Um, this one's for Eric. Um, I see your company narrative went through the Disney Accelerator. Uh, what was your company's biggest takeaway or improvement as a result of the accelerator?
2: Yeah, so when we went through Disney Accelerator as our first class, and it was actually a partnership between Techstars, which is the biggest global accelerator program in the world. They have programs in, ever, like in so many countries and a lot of states, uh, and now a big presence in L.A. Um, it was 50-50 Disney Accelerator, and, sorry, 50-50 Disney, 50-50 Techstars. And now Disney Accelerator runs the whole thing on their own. But we were very fortunate to have both sides. And Techstars is very much you know tech-focused, investor-focused, very structured. And Disney was very much you know about the mentorship in the in the business development, and they set up a ton of meetings the first couple of weeks. It was actually, like, very, it, it was very, very hard to, you know, not be distracted because you had so many meetings. It was, like, four to six hours a day, just round, round robin of meeting the head of ESPN, the head of ABC and ABC Family. It was just so much mentorship and madness, um, but, like, very, very helpful early on to companies that knew what they were building, but... it was hard for us because we had just shut down our product and we're trying to figure out what to build next. We didn't come up with narrative overnight. Uh, So it was actually like, it was a really troubling time for us. Really difficult to have those conversations with all these people. We kept getting consistent feedback from the people at Disney. They're like, oh, these guys seem really sharp, but it doesn't seem like they know what they want to do. We're like, yeah, we we don't. (laughs) We don't know what we want to do is uh, you know, we we probably looked very disorganized, and uh, we were really just trying to just get feedback and figure out what to build. But TechStars is like, you know, go go go, break things mentality. Like, get that first season to Sis, rip that up really quickly. And Disney's like, whoa, slow <laughs> down, get permission. Like, very interesting, different sides of things. So I felt very fortunate that we had both sides there. Uh, but what we got specifically out of Disney Accelerator was most valuable was probably getting into brands within Disney that fit really well for narrative very, very quickly, like ABC Family, couldn't have been a more perfect fit for what we were working on. Um, a lot of the brands within Disney just weren't young enough. You know, like Disney Studios um, wasn't ready to be on Snapchat at the time, but ABC Family was killing on Instagram and Twitter, and they it was just such a perfect fit. And we were a three-person startup at the time. There's no way we would have gotten the door, at least... And, and even if we did it would, would have probably taken months and months of you know uh due diligence and conversations to strike some sort of deal but because we were in disney accelerator we got that meeting and you know very very quickly and we got the deal done like in lightning speed and uh i don't think that would have happened i don't even think they would have taken the meeting with a three person startup uh if we didn't go through disney accelerator so that deal really helped propel our business and Get us to the next phase.
0: I mean, just a really good fit with what Disney <laughs> offers, even Absolutely. though not all and, their property. And
2: Disney Studios came, you know, a year later, came back to us and said they were ready for Snapchat uh, because of, you know, what we had done with Freeform. And, you know, again, I, you know, even those early conversations were really, really helpful. Uh, so the, the business development alone was just very powerful. I think every business that like was successful at Disney Accelerator was were the ones that could strike direct deals with Disney. Uh, so it was a huge, huge value add.
0: Cool. So I'll end it with giving you guys a chance to promote anything you want. If you're looking for certain hires, if you're looking for interns, if you want to give a plug to uh, We Buy Gold or whatever, go.
2: I do want to plug We Buy Gold. So if you can follow on Instagram, that'd be awesome. I hope you guys like it. If feel free to email me directly and give me feedback at it, Eric at you, We Buy gold. TV.
0: I'm sorry. Say it again.
2: It's at We Buy Gold. We Buy Gold, all one word.
0: And are and you looking for? To add people or not yet or
2: not yet. Our team is was is
3: pretty much set until our next funding. Okay. But, yeah. Polar Pro. Uh, so we are growing very very fast and like I said earlier, I didn't network enough with my fellow mechanical engineers, software engineers, anything in general. I mean we're growing at a pace right now that we can't keep up with. So if you guys are interested in you know photography, videography, just getting out exploring the world, share the kind of the same passions that we do. Jeff at polarpro.com. Just say hi. Maybe you're interested, maybe you're not. I'm more than happy to talk to you guys.
1: Awesome. So, Uniru Management, uh, we plan on dishing out reaching for the stars by the end of hopefully next year. Be on the lookout for new media platforms such as like YouTube, Netflix, Hulu, uh, reaching for the stars. i love uh, to hear some feedback during that time. If you guys you know, do end up watching and support, email uh, emails kwazhang at homel.com. One more time. K-W-A-Z-H-A-N-G at homo.com.
0: And it's awesome that these guys are willing to give you their contact information. Um, don't abuse that. Please, the hundreds of thousands of people watching, don't abuse that. Um, <laughs> but if, there's, if you have positive feedback, if you want to you know, like them on Facebook and Instagram, Snapchat, etc., any way that you can help these fellow Gauchos, I would hope that you guys could do that, as well as everyone watching online. Thank you guys so much.